Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lands. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. 1 Samuel chapter 24, there are other people watching you when you decide not to pray about something or you say one thing, you preach one thing, but you do another. David is that rare leader who wants to live his life in God's honor. He didn't do it perfectly either, but let's take this moment for what it is. And David persuaded his men seven with these words. He did not allow them to rise up against Saul. You can kind of feel the tension in the cave. If you're not going to do it, (laughs) I tell you what, I'm sick and tired of living in caves. The ibex are fun to look at. The waterfalls have been pleasant. But I'm sorry, I'm done. There's 600 men who are sick of this guy, and he's been served up. Are you kidding me, David? Can you hear the voices in the cave? You have to be kidding me. No. Okay, you don't want to kill him? (laughs) I'll kill him, because I'm sick of this guy. This man, David, is a leader. He persuades his men with these words. Words are powerful, and he did not allow them. You almost get the picture that each one of them are rising up, and David's holding them back. He did not allow them to rise up against Saul, and Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. And I bet you there were a bunch of heated up soldiers in that cave just going, you have to be kidding me. I mean, these guys are closing in on our location, and we didn't cut off the head of the snake? Wow, I don't know. Maybe there's something wrong. You're supposed to be this great warrior, this tactician. You know, I don't know, David. Now afterward, David arose. And he went out of the cave and called after Saul. Now he's about to take a huge risk. Because Saul's gone out of the cave. Now I would imagine, based upon you know, the land and what's going on, that Saul's army is a little ways away. But there's 3,000 men somewhere close by. Maybe a couple bodyguards a couple hundred miles away. Or not a couple hundred miles away. Uh, you know, say uh, a couple hundred yards away. That's, that's what I was trying to say. Not miles. Yards. But Saul's just kind of made his way out of the cave, and David now arises. He's about to expose their location. And he called, he arose, and he went out of the cave, and he called after Saul. And he said, My lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. Can you see a bunch of soldiers right behind David going, No way. You've got to be kidding me. He's bowing before this guy, right? David's down on the ground. He's not worshiping Saul. But he is humbling himself before a man who's in an office that's higher than him at the moment. It's incredible. There's something else about David you need to see. And what you need to see about David is humility. David knows he's the anointed one. He's had some great victories by the power of God's hand. And yet he's willing to humble himself before this man. He gets prostrate on the ground. And he calls out to him. He's risked his position. He's risked his army. He's risked, risked everything, his life. But he's about to make a speech. It's, I think, the longest speech recorded in 1 Samuel. In Proverbs 25.11 says, Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. We're not very good communicators, are we, people? Especially in times of tension. But David is the sweet psalmist of Israel, and he's got something that we need to learn from. He knows how to communicate by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's going to walk the razor's edge in this speech 
Life and death are in the power of the tongue, literally right here before us is that scripture in many ways because life and death are now, you know, there's armies that are ready to fight each other. There's two men that are, you know, vying for the same spot. And David is on the ground. You know, Jesus was before Pilate. We know at any time Jesus could have wiped out everybody, but then how would the scriptures be fulfilled? And he said to Pilate, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from heaven. And the ones that handed me over to you, John 18, you can read around 36 through 39, they have committed the greater sin. Are there levels of sin? There are. Jesus said the religious leaders had committed the greater sin, yet he acknowledged that Pilate had authority for the moment. That's what David is doing. David is a type of Jesus. And so we see him humbled now. And before Saul, and crying out to him, and he said, Behold, this is, uh, go back to verse 9. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men, saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you? R.P. Gordon says, David himself has just rejected the words of men, where they would have brought him into reconciliation between persons recorded in all, uh, never mind, that, that's, that quote is not correct, but here, here's what it is. David rejected the the words of men that said to kill Saul, but Saul believes false words about David. That's the point. He says, why do you believe this stuff? And, you know, Saul's been, a lot of it is from his own jealousy. He's been saying, David's lying in wait. He's going to ambush me. Why don't any of you people tell me this? Well, David says, you know, maybe maybe somebody was fueling the fire here. But David says, why do you listen to people? Isn't there enough evidence before you? Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord has given you today into my hand in the cave. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Notice David, now my father. Remember, Saul is his father-in-law. See, indeed, See the edge of your robe in my hand. This is like David being an expert lawyer. He's showing evidence. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you. No one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. I'm not lying in wait for you. You're doing it to me. And yet you're believing lies. And look, the evidence is right here. I could have killed you in the cave. And I didn't. If, if I am the man that you are saying I am or that others in your court say that I am, you'd be dead. Amen? That's David's argument. You would not be in this world any longer because you were in the cave. And I'm sure Saul's thinking, oh boy, I didn't realize there was an audience in the cave. <laughs> Feeling a little bit embarrassed. Right? And then David says, may the Lord judge between you and me. You see, when you appeal to the judgment of God, it means your conscience is clear. If, if David makes an appeal right now, he says, okay, the Lord judge between you and me. David's standing on pretty solid ground. He knows what he's done. But Saul, and David says, and may the Lord avenge me on you. But may, my hand shall not be against you if there's going to be bloodshed. It will not start with me. I'm not going to kill you. And Saul has to be thinking. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. 
Notice this eloquent communicator. He's speaking from his heart. He's speaking the truth. He's speaking words that are effective. Communication is so important, isn't it? It can make such a difference. He says, after whom has the king of Israel come out? 14. Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A a single flea? Picture David on the ground prostrated. He said, man, I'm nothing more than a dead dog. Don't, why are you wasting time and energy and resources on me? I'm no threat to you. Now, David, in essence, was a real threat. But you can see that there's some tactic in his communication. He's, he's being effective. He's self-deprecating for a reason. He's saying, look, I'm not a threat to you, Saul. So you've read the situation wrong. And he calls for the Lord to judge He says, the Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me and may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. This is reminiscent of many of the Psalms that he's written. He's appealing to God. You can read Psalm 94 later. But he's appealing to God and he's saying, look, okay, I'm going to call the ultimate judge. I haven't taken judgment into my hands. The Lord, vengeance belongs to who? The Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. That is a verse you should take heart in because you know God will repay. It's not just about you withholding your hand. It's also about knowing that God will judge. Now, it came about when David had finished speaking these words to Saul. That Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Remember, he wouldn't even call David by name. Throughout the several, last several chapters, he'll call him the son of Jesse. Now he says, is that you, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice. I want you to see what happens here. And he wept. What a scene. But I have a question. Are Saul's tears genuine? I wonder. You know, in a couple of chapters, he's going to be hunting David again. <laughs> so here's the deal. I don't think that Saul's tears are necessarily about repentance, although we could speculate that maybe in the moment he's feeling some regret the language that will follow here seems to, see, to mean that there's some genuine heartfelt regret. However, I wonder if Saul's tears are more about the fact that he got caught than it is about his true regret. Do you know that when you see some people break into tears, maybe in a courtroom, or they finally got exposed or caught, have you ever looked through the tears and wondered, Are those tears about what that person did to other people? Or are those tears about the fact of self-pity? Because human beings can be so bent in their fallen state, many times, let's not point our finger at everybody else, many times our own tears are not about our sorrow of what we did to others. They're about self-pity. And it's sad. And I think that Saul's tears may be that. 2 Corinthians 12 says, For the sorrow that is according to the will of God, will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. 2 Corinthians 12.10. Both situations produce something. One produces repentance without regret. There's sorrow in both cases. But the sorrow of the world just leads to death because the sorrow of the world is not repentance. It's, I got caught. And now I'm going to have to deal with the the consequences of what I did. 
And they start boohooing, but the boohooing is about them. It's not about a genuine brokenness. Sometimes that can be tricky. We know that God disciplines us as believers for our good. Human fathers disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. All discipline for the moment, Hebrews 12, 10, and 11, seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who are trained by that discipline, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Let me just say this to you, if God's trying to get your attention, if you've been exposed in a cave somewhere, and someone's shown you kindness, and not delivered what they might have done to you, you've gotten off the hook, you've gotten a break. See that as the Lord. Because Saul is going to end up at the end of this book saying, I have played the fool, I have erred exceedingly. He's going to end his life by knowing he was a fool. And he has an opportunity before him. Does he take it? And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you, 17, have dealt well with me while I have dealt wickedly with you. That's an understatement, right? The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 21 through 23, you have been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. While he was being reviled, he did not revile in return. While he was suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he bore in his body our sins on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you are healed for you were continually going astray like sheep going astray. But now you've returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. He's left you an example to follow. It's not an easy one. It's got to be him living through you. That's what David did. Saul recognized it. He said, you have declared today, now here's Saul's speech. You have declared today that you have done good to me, that the Lord 18 delivered me into your hand, and yet you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, 19, will he let him go away safely? May the Lord therefore reward you with good in return for what you have done to me this day. Saul's eyes wet with tears utters these words back. You've done something unexpected. Isn't it the unexpected things in life that tend to change people's lives? If you just do what everybody else does, if you react the way everybody else does, if you repay evil for evil like everybody else does, if you return threat for threat, you know what that does? All it does is continue the wrath. But a soft answer turns away wrath. I have found, and none of us are perfect at this, but when you're able to maybe do something unexpected by the Holy Spirit, Somebody may not react on the spot, but they're going to they're go back and think about your reaction and go, what in the world was that? Anybody else would have just taken the person out or verbally put them in their place. Why did you not do that? And Saul says, you've done good to me and may a blessing come upon you. Now, behold, I know that, finally, Saul says it, I know that you shall surely be king. And that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Jonathan's already said this, his son, but now Saul says, I know you're the king. You are better than me. The prophecy is true. You are a man after God's own heart. You've shown it right here. You're better than me. And I know you're going to be the king. What does it look like to behave like a king? Is it being fanned and fed grapes and 
told how great you are. Is that what it means to be a true leader? If you want to know what a true leader looks like, look at the cross. If you want to know what a true leader looks looks like, look at Jesus Christ, who humbled himself. He did it all for the sake of others. He knew in his earthly life he was going to end up at a cross. He knew it. And yet he submitted to his Father's will for the glory of God the Father and for the benefit that you would be in the kingdom. He lived for others. That's a leader. Man, it's not easy to be a leader, is it? So he says, now swear to me, we're almost done, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my descendants after me, that you will not destroy my name from my father's household. Uh, David already made this commitment to Jonathan, Saul's son, and um, this will be played out in the life of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel. And David, so he didn't have to hesitate, he already had made the promise, so David swore to Saul, and Saul went to his home. But David and his men went up, where did they go? (laughs) To the stronghold. Saul went home, which is amazing in and of itself, with 3,000 soldiers. Everybody's been on this manhunt. Finally, the two are standing there, mano y mano, and all the soldiers, the 600 on the one side and the 3,000 on the other have to be gone. I don't understand what happened today. (laughs) I need therapy. (laughs) I need someone to talk to. I'm confused. And Saul said, we're going home, boys. All right. And David took his men to the stronghold. Does that mean that they went back to En Gedi? Maybe. Does that mean they went to Masada or back to Adullam? It's possible. You see, I think part of what's going on here is that David doesn't really believe Saul. (laughs) Otherwise, remember, David was married to Michal. He could have just said, okay, the, the, the white towel's been thrown into the ring. Cool, we're all good. Let's go home. He didn't do that. He knew Saul had a tendency to change his mind quickly and spears started flying in the living room. Right? So David said, uh, hey boys, you like this spot? <laughs> Waterfalls, goats, cool rock formations. Let's hang out here a while longer. Turn to the book of James and we're done. James in the New Testament. What can we learn from this account. I think many, many things. I hope you're making the application as the Spirit leads, but let's end with James chapter 3. James has been talking about the tongue in James 3, the power of the tongue. He's talking about man, and he, he says, look, we, we are able to bridle horses, and we can steer ships, but we can't tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. Go, go to verse 5, James 3. The tongue is a small part of the body, yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among the members, our members, as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire. The course of our life is set on fire by hell. James 3.7 Every species of beasts and birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness or image of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? 
Can a fig tree, verse 12, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show this, show it, show by his good behavior, his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. Gentleness is that same word, meekness, humility. But if you have bitter jealousy, which Saul did, and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But by contrast, the wisdom from above, from heaven, from God, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy. Think of David and especially Jesus and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. It's not phony. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Father, thank you for this section of 1 Samuel 24. Thank you that you teach us so many lessons about what it means to be a man or a woman of God, a man after your own heart, a woman after your own heart. Thank you you teach us what it means to be a leader, not to go with the flow and not to take matters into our own hands, but to trust you which is a challenge, Lord, we confess it. We failed so many times in this area, but thank you that we can be molded and shaped. And as we began this message, we talked about the journey, and that's part of the purpose of the journey. Even our pain shapes us. Our tears can can become uh, wells of uh, truth and change. Our pain can be a process that you use to change us, to get us to see what's important to get us to see what we do to ourselves, to get us to see what it really means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Thank you that you are merciful, Lord. Thank you that you are patient. But you do warn us and you do tell us that there are times, there are pivotal moments in life when we've got to show who we are, that our character matters, our conscience, our heart, it matters. What we do in life matters. May you shape and mold this precious group and with our hearts bowed before you, naked and open before you, Lord. Change us from the inside out. We don't want to do it our own way. We, we know that failure and we know what that causes to others around us. Change our hearts, O oh God. Make them ever true. Change our hearts, O oh God. May we be like you. You are the potter, we are the clay. Mold us and make us. This is what we pray. Change our heart, Lord. Now if you're here with your heart and head bowed and you have not met Christ, you've not met that fountain of mercy, you've not come to that tree of life where the blood flowed down, you've not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, this is an opportunity with your head and heart bowed. Settle it. Stop fighting him. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. It's something, something simple like this, but it's the most profound thing you can do. Pray it out loud if it's you. Jesus, come into my life. Thank you that you died on the cross for my sins, that you humbled yourself, became a man, and took my shame, my pain, and bore my sin and my judgment at the cross. I ask for forgiveness in your name. I turn from my sin and rebellion and turn to you. Please heal me, heal my soul, heal my backsliding. 
Change me from the inside out. Lord, for those who are crying out to you, maybe prodigals in the room that have been wandering, may you change them. May you heal them. May you extend your hand of mercy to those who need healing tonight. Emotional, spiritual, physical healing, Lord. You're a God of miracles. But we also know you use the pain along the journey to shape us. And if we're in one of those seasons, Lord, give us patience and endurance and your eyes and your heart. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've always been told, encouraged by my wife, is that kill people with kindness. Now, I'm finally learning that throughout my old age, but David really was a man of God. He feared God. Even though he had the go-ahead to do what he thought was right, he still placed someone else before him. And that's what we talked about also with with um, Saul's son, Jonathan, um, Jonathan, yeah. in that how they loved each other. Yes. And how you loved someone else is when you place them ahead of yourself as well as your own needs. I think that's an amazing thought, too. I wonder if in some ways Jonathan inspired David. Mm. Because David could have looked at Jonathan and said, you, you know, for all rights, you are next in line for this throne. You know, because you're the son of the king. And yet Jonathan, you know, uh, it, it would appear, took off the royal robes and gave them to David and said, this belongs to you. You know, I was thinking from a big picture standpoint, Oscar, that the greatest thing that we can do when we're dealing with people is ask God for his eyes and his heart towards mm-hmm. people. So I just want to wind up this segment with talking about that for a second. Because when we do these little closes on these radio broadcasts, I think our heart is not to reteach what we've taught, but to highlight maybe a, a practical point. And I think it's this. If I can have God's eyes and God's heart for even someone who might be barking at me or angry or whatever, um, that's a person for whom Christ died. That's a person that needs to be reached just like I was reached at some point. And I know you've even said in past uh, programs that we've done that you know, you kind of longed for someone, a Christian, to show you the love of Christ as you were on your own search and sometimes when people are searching, they ask hard questions and maybe they even ask them with some angst because they've had gone through a tragedy or they have a looming question mark. And so we have to keep that in mind when we're interacting with people because usually if we get attacked as a Christian, it's not so much about us. It's about the Christ we've placed our faith in. And so I'm not saying this is easy. And, you know, I think we'd both admit we failed plenty of times, but... Um, I think we need to keep this in mind so that we earn the right to be heard and even sometimes maybe our silence is a message. I know for Christ, him not repaying evil for evil and even being quiet blew away Pilate. It blew away Herod. It seems like the only questions he would really respond to was his identity, but he didn't really respond to the false charges, which is very difficult to do. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.